It's Wednesday, February 16th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. DoorDash is bumping up its fees on the restaurant side of things. Specifically, when it comes to McDonald's, the delivery platform will be charging higher commissions when orders are taking longer to fill and if drivers are kept waiting. It's an effort to improve efficiency and cut losses. And we all know that getting food delivered is more expensive, but we're also learning that you are being charged more for the food itself rather than if you ordered it in store. Heather Haddon, restaurants reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, Tesla is currently running a beta test of its full self-driving mode on certain models and looking at footage posted by beta testers, it's not going as smooth as Tesla might have hoped. No injuries or major accidents have been recorded, but what we see is a system that is still hesitant in certain situations, struggle to control the system, and a near miss with a pedestrian. Fez Siddiqui, tech reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for a look at how this mode handles in real-world situations. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. It starts at a commission rate at 11.6%, which is much lower than what uh, McDonald now now has to pay, uh, which is more like 15%. But it goes all the way up and up um, past that three or four minutes till it gets to a certain threshold at eight minutes where the, the restaurant is charged quite, quite a bit more. Joining us now is Heather Haddon, restaurants reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Thanks so much. Let's talk about an interesting story dealing with DoorDash and uh, it's the fees that it charges to restaurants. Obviously, there's a a pretty delicate balance of what they do, how they make their money. They make their money by charging commission on restaurants and then obviously charging a service fee to the consumer, to us, people who are ordering foods. But one thing that DoorDash is doing is going to be increasing the fees that it charges McDonald's specifically when they take too long to fulfill their orders, when their dashers, when their couriers are kind of sitting around waiting for the order to be filled. And, uh, you know, obviously this is an effort to make them speedier and uh, hopefully make the orders a little more accurate. So, Heather, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so just to be clear, this is the commissions that DoorDash charges McDonald's restaurants um, for um, handling its orders. Uh, So there's a base commission rate that as part of these new global contracts negotiated between the delivery company and McDonald's that are set at a certain rate, but starting next year, if an order gets past, you know, three or four minutes that a driver is waiting, according to how DoorDash assesses this, then the commission rate will go up. Uh, So it starts at a commission rate at 11.6%, which is much lower than what uh, McDonald now now has to pay, uh, which is more like 15%. But it goes all the way up and up um, past that three or four minutes till it gets to a certain threshold at eight minutes where the, the restaurant is charged quite, quite a bit more. So for DoorDash, you know, they say they're looking to improve efficiency and service. And McDonald says it's also in their interest to have their service perform as well as possible. And you know, McDonald's also got a lower commission rate out of it. So that's part of their thinking. There was a a lot of concerns from some McDonald's franchisees who saying that, you know, tying these penalties to performance are going to maybe hurt them a little more because they're already suffering with some staff shortages that can slow things down. You know, is this big deal just McDonald's because they have a bad track record with uh, these longer wait times or it's just because it's McDonald's and they can make a big giant deal with this huge company? 
Yeah, no, there's no specific evidence that we pertained that this is because of a weight issue. It is just part of, you know, how they negotiate these new terms. Um, and again, the overall commission is lower, but then there is this, this service time element. Um, in terms of the franchisees, yes, I mean, they are concerned that this could hurt them. And this is coming at a time, you know, this isn't going to start till next year, but everyone is very concerned that the labor shortages that we're now seeing could be very long term, that if we can't get this labor force back, that it is harder for restaurants to service orders. I mean, the company talked during their most recent earnings, McDonald's, that their drive-through wait times had gone up. And a lot of these delivery drivers, especially at night, often use the drive-through to pick up their orders. So, you know, if the wait times are going up and, you know, these restaurants just don't have enough staff to fully man drive-through, particularly at, say, like late at night or more skeleton crew times, they're worried that they're going to have to pay the price for it. Now, the other interesting part of this, too, is that, you know, this is kind of the deal done on the back end with uh, DoorDash and, and McDonald's, obviously. But, you know, when we talk about orders for us, for the consumers, you know, generally, you know, it's an understanding that it's more expensive to order the food, obviously, because of the delivery, everything. But in a lot of cases, the restaurants are charging more for that food when you do order off these delivery apps than if you would in person. I think Chipotle is an example of that. Yeah, a lot of restaurants have changed that, particularly during the pandemic, because so much of their sales now are during the pandemic has been through delivery. And so a lot of restaurants are charging double digit percentage rates more for what you buy on an app than if you go into the store. So, you know, a burrito that would be $8 if you bought it in the in the actual restaurant could be eight, $0.80 cents or around then. Um, and, you know, the restaurants have said that they need to do this because the delivery is just more expensive because you have these commission rates that the delivery companies are charging and the restaurants have to pay. And the restaurants, you know, say often they don't make a lot per order. And so they need to make up for this in some way. And they say that these delivery customers are willing to pay it. So they're willing to hand it down. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's the price you pay as a consumer for the convenience of it. You don't want to get up and go out all that jazz, but you are paying more for just the service and the actual food, which is an important distinction. And back to the deal that DoorDash has with McDonald's, you know, they said that they reserve the right to stop uh, serving McDonald's restaurants if they start charging more than 30 percent of in-store menu costs. And so, I mean, that's pretty crazy to think that that's how much markup you're getting on some of that food. Yeah, I mean, restaurants now, some of them are charging 20% or more. So it's not out of, you know, out of sight that maybe some restaurant could charge something like 30% just to, yeah, absorb that commission rate. Now, again, McDonald's pays much, much less commission rates than independent restaurants. I mean, some independent restaurants are really um, having to pay commission rates that are 30% or more. And then you could really understand why they'd want to hike up those right those rates as much. Um, the restaurants, these big chain restaurants are generally getting a bit, um, a better deal, but are, you know, they're trying to make money. So they're looking for ways to do that. Heather Haddon, restaurants reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Check, 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 check. 
it's really important to realize here that uh, people are driving thousands of miles with good experiences with FSD beta and you you can't judge the technology just by the glitches um, and it is an impressive technology at the same time it's those glitches it's the edge cases that really matter when it comes to safety and performance joining us now is Fez Siddiqui tech reporter at the Washington Post thanks for joining us Fez hey thanks for having me I want to talk about an interesting article you and a colleague wrote up about Tesla's full self-driving beta that's going on right now. So a lot of people, I think about 60,000 Tesla drivers currently have the full self-driving beta available to them on their cars. And a lot of them are tracking what's going on, taking video and posting those up. So what you guys did was weed out some of those videos. You contacted the people to authenticate that that was them in the video and what happened in there was accurate. And uh, there was all sorts of interesting things that came up. There was a couple of crashes, a couple of uh, uh, weird moments where you couldn't wrestle control away from the car, from the AI, a bunch of interesting stuff. So Fez, start us off telling us what the full self-driving mode is, and then we'll get into the rest of it. Yeah, so full self-driving, it's a software beta that uh, Tesla is conducting right now. It's available to uh, a little over 50,000 vehicles right now. And it's basically a driver assistance suite. So there's cruise control, then there's traffic aware cruise control that's a little bit more advanced. Tesla has something called autopilot. And then full self-driving is sort of the most advanced uh, or daring iteration of this software. So it's available to be uh, activated on city and residential streets. And it essentially does everyday driving maneuvers. Of course, the driver is in control and has to pay attention at all times. This mode from Tesla really seems like it's the most advanced one out there. I know we have other car companies working on self-driving systems and whatnot, but just really not available to the public at the scale that this is. So, I mean, this is kind of the best that we have so far. I like to characterize it as sort of the most um, daring of them, right? It's like... <laughs> right. It, uh, the capabilities are available in places that other advanced driver assistance systems uh, are not. I mean, a lot of those systems are highway only. But what you see with full self-driving is it's operating in busy uh, city centers um, in places with a lot of people, a lot of cars, cyclists, and the everyday chaos of the road um, happening around it. And how does it work? Uh, it's got a bunch of cameras, obviously. LiDAR is used uh, on a lot of these things. So uh, what are we looking at as far as the system itself? Tesla's uh, actually only use um, cameras, uh, eight cameras surrounding the cars. And then there are ultrasonic sensors. Uh, you can think of them like, uh, like little parking sensors that are basically detecting objects near the car. But these cameras are constantly looking around and searching for hazards um, or whatever might be surrounding the vehicle. And then the car stitches together those images and is essentially trying to locate and react to what it's seeing. Now, I have not driven a Tesla personally, but I've been in one. And, you know, you can see on the video screen in the center uh, the imaging that it makes of the environment around it. You see silhouettes of people, you see stop signs, you see other cars, and it looks all pretty good. I mean, uh, you know, just driving in the back seat, I could see how accurate it does look, right? So, uh, you know, that's the system that it's using there, and it's kind of mapping everything in real time. 
Um, but uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of videos out there showing some missteps. And you guys got together a bunch of experts to analyze those videos and just kind of give their thoughts on on what's going on. And it, it doesn't seem like it's completely ready for prime time. But I like the way you mentioned the article. You know, all those uh, drivers that you spoke to that went through some of these problems, you know, they didn't necessarily say that the system is broken. They all of them said, you know, these are mile markers of how much this technology has progressed. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think a lot of drivers think that they are sort of taking on the challenge with the company and they're at the forefront of this very cutting edge uh, sort of technology. I mean, certainly there, there are so many road deaths, um, tens of thousands just in, in the U.S. alone every year. And they feel like if technology like this becomes advanced enough, if autonomous driving one day is achievable, then a large share of those deaths, um, traffic deaths, could be eliminated. Of course, that's a long way off. But some of these drivers feel that they're right there with the company taking on the challenge. Uh, But, of course, they're taking on uh, the liability as well. You and your colleague, Reed Albergati, actually rented a Tesla Model Y and and kind of tested it out, drove it around. Uh, What was your experience like? Yeah, so it was a sunny day in Sacramento. And you would think like those kinds of conditions might be ideal for the car. But we found that the car deactivations uh, were quite frequent or our our need to take over um, was quite frequent. Sometimes it felt like maybe the sun was getting into the car's eyes. Basically, it was sort of blinding the camera. But in general, it performed well on long, straight stretches of road. But when it had to make turns or when it had to navigate something unexpected like uh, construction or road hazards, uh, there's an open car door at some point, it sort of struggled to decide what to do. When it makes a turn, I'll give you a quick example. It seems to break it down into segments as opposed to fluidly you know, completing the turn. The Tesla just sort of beelines it in one direction and then like corrects a little bit and corrects a little bit yeah. until the turn is complete. It makes for some jerky movements from what I was looking in the, in the videos. Definitely. It, it can be jarring. And uh, you have to be, you're essentially babysitting it. I mean, you can't be overly trusting. Um, you have to sort of oversee every move it might make. Let's talk about some of the videos that you and the experts analyzed. So on one of them, we had the first recorded crash, it seems like, where the Tesla is trying to make a right turn and then it uh, hits one of these uh, little uh, crosswalk bollards or something like that. It, it just uh, hit it. I, I think you mentioned 11 miles an hour, but it, it just didn't recognize it or something, it seemed like. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I mean, it's making this, this uh, right turn at a little over 10 or between 10 and 15 miles an hour. And then anyone would sort of complete that turn and go into the uh, correct lane or they, they wouldn't exit their lane. The car uh, sort of overshoots it uh, or maybe oversteers through the turn. And so it's at such an angle that it's now pointed towards the bike lane, uh, which, of course, is on the side of it the whole time. And it's heading directly for this bollard. Um, and evidently the car just doesn't see it and uh, smashes into it. Uh, there was a pedestrian near miss. This one happened in December in San Jose where it looked, it seemed like the car didn't re- necessarily recognize that the person standing still 
was actually going to walk into the crosswalk. So it, it created for this kind of jerky motion as we were previously describing. Yeah, and uh, so that's another um, that's a, another hard one for the software that they that they really need to solve. How can they predict um, the next movement of the pedestrian? Of course, you as the driver might look in that direction and say, "Oh yeah, that person uh, is probably going to cross," and like I should uh, take heed of that. Um, the car uh, evidently did not anticipate that action. Uh, didn't read the walk sign um, and, and didn't otherwise adjust. Um, and basically the driver um, is the one who had to be alert in that situation. And it was quite a close call. I mean, it's interesting because looking at these videos, I mean, you do see the car move throughout the streets, busy streets and a bunch of complicated environments but uh, you know when you drill down into it there are some things that could be a little unnerving one of the ones was this little struggle for control that happened when it was trying to squeeze between uh, you know a car parked on the left side and like a ups truck so it was trying to navigate that tight thing and you can see the driver trying to wrestle control of it the you know the car was taking it back in the other direction and in one of those moments i think it could be pretty unnerving definitely i mean because one of the ways to confirm uh, or, or to, to regain control is to yank the wheel. Um, if you yank it to the left or right, um, the car can give you control back. But in this situation, it's a really sort of narrow corridor that the car is navigating, parked cars on either side, and then this uh, UPS truck um, very close to the car. And so it didn't occur to the driver, um, I, I don't know, to stop the car or um, otherwise there, there was just no quick way to signal to the car, Hey, like I'm in control yeah. now. And so it manifests <laughs> as this struggle now where the wheel is going back and forth and it's unclear whether car or computer is really moving the car at that point. A couple other things we saw was that it, it seemed like the car struggled to read signs, uh, wording on signs that could be important on and maybe also creating some optical illusions with the camera. You said something about the sun blocking it, different things like that. Overall, though, because uh, you had experts analyze frame by frame what was happening in a lot of these videos, what was their overall assessment of the full self-driving mode? Uh, I think the takeaway was there is um, still a lot of work to do. Uh, that basically, Tesla's approach uh, is so daring um, and sort of, so different from what its competitors are doing uh, that it suggests that uh, a complete technology like this that allows a car to drive itself as this um, name of this system would imply, uh, that's still pretty far off. Well, uh, everybody check out Fez's article on the Washington Post. There's um, some cool videos in there showing some of these examples that we've been talking about. It's interesting stuff. The technology has come a long way and you know if we can really nail it down it, it could i mean it could be really really cool for the future so uh everybody check those out fez siddiqui tech reporter at the washington post thank you very much for joining us absolutely thank you so much that's it for today join us on social media at daily dive pod on both twitter and instagram leave us a comment Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Diver is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.